Schedule 925. What a way to get the work done. Yeah, we promise you don't have to sing. And how could you possibly sing as well as we just did? Who knows? But you don't have to sing, but you can sure get some things done with Agile. That's right, because nonprofits are always being asked to do more with less, or at least to do the same with fewer resources. That's true. And the team at Agile in Nonprofits, which is a service of D.H. Leonard Consulting, helps nonprofit professionals learn how to embrace an Agile mindset and how to implement the Scrum framework in their team settings. And that helps create twice the impact in half the time. You can learn more about all this and download their free Getting Started with Scrum checklist at agileinnonprofits.com. Well, hey there. I'm Kimberly Hayes de Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to Season 4 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. We're doing more in Season 4 to help nonprofits, local governments, and the consultants who serve them raise more money and get more grants by sharing real-world experiences and interviews with experts in getting the job done. You may hear a y'all or two along the way. Maybe. And singing and strange sound effects. And apparently on this episode, there may be some other fun words coming our way. We'll see. Y'all, we've already had dancing pickles, so just sit tight. <laughs> just sit tight. So there's more of us to love in season four. We've got episodes dropping every other week, all year long. So let's get into it. This podcast is brought to you by season four sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, mock review, as well as providing numerous DIY resources, guides, and templates. Did you know that with every Fundraising Heyday episode, we create a coordinating blog post on their website, dhleonardconsulting.com? Check it out today. Okay, so whether you are a grant writer, a fundraiser, a volunteer, or just a good old human existing in the world, chances are you're like everybody else, trying to do more in less time. I totally agree. How else could I build in the hours needed to reread the complete works of Agatha Christie, drink all the tea, and rewatch my favorite seasons of the Great British Baking Show, while also helping agencies raise more money to do all the good things? You know, it is important to have goals in life. And I must say... Sad though they may be. (laughs) Well, you know I'm all in on the tea. And since you have introduced me to the Great British Bake Off, I am seriously obsessed. And I think I'm in my fourth season already in two months. Yes, so goals. But seriously, we are both excited today to interview an expert in helping people across all kinds of businesses, nonprofits, and other types of organizations become more productive and happier. Because who isn't happier when you're more productive? Well, we're going to find out. Sometimes it doesn't go hand in hand, but I think what we're going to find out today is that it can. So today we're talking to Avi Schneier, the Principal Agile Transformation Consultant of Scrum, Inc. You've heard us talk about Scrum and how useful it is in getting work done in past episodes. And uh, this time we thought we'd actually talk to an expert in the trenches all about it. So Avi has taught Scrum and consulted in companies around the globe. He's worked in not-for-profit and Fortune 500 enterprises to set them on the track for higher value delivery and 
happier teams, it's going to come up again, with his unique combination of experience as a science teacher, stockbroker, and small business owner, he has skillfully helped countless companies, large and small, become agile. He's a contributing editor of the Scrum at Scale Guide, specializing in Scrum beyond software. He's applied Scrum in a variety of fields, including marketing, procurement, sales, supply chain, and customer support. And Avi sees Scrum as the key to delivering better results through innovation, where rapid change is now the norm. So welcome, Avi. We're so glad you decided to join our show today. Thanks, Kimberly. Thanks, Amanda. It's great to be here. Yeah, and like Kimberly said, we have we've read the book. We we did an episode, I think one of our earlier seasons, just she and I talking about what we've learned from it. Of course, Diane Leonard, um, who uses it all the time, has been on the show to talk about it. Um, so we're super excited to actually have someone who really works in in the Scrum framework. And I'm a, I am a baby Scrum master and product owner because I took the trainings with Diane's team. So. Oh, that's great. That's I'm, great. I'm not out in the world, you know, with, with but it's certainly been helpful for, for me and for the podcast. So when you say you read the book, you, I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to the red book, correct? Yes, that is correct. Right. So everyone should know that there are actually two books. We actually have a book after that. So if you've okay. got the red book or you've read it or you want to take a look at some other uh, stuff that's happened. So the Red Book came out uh, a while ago. Mm-hmm. I think it was 20, uh, 2014 or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, that lays out everything you need to know about Scrum, like how it works, all the basics. But the book which we published more recently was is our Yellow Book, which is our Tales from the Trenches. And that's a lot more about uh, implementations, additional implementations, for example, outside of software. Uh, nice. That's yeah. Cool. I'm in there in chapter four, a company that I worked with called confirmation.com that uh, was a, was a small company in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, had their development down in Boca Raton, Florida. So for all you listening, for all y'all listening here in the <laughs> South. Oh, look <laughs> <Yeah>. at you. <laughs> Woo! Come on, Brooklyn. All right. For all y'all listening here in the South, we're, oh. we're talking about this was a total Southern transformation. And what was really great is we did a lot of work with them, helped them out, and they were actually bought out eventually by Thomson Reuters. I can't okay. disclose the, I can't disclose the amount, but what I will say was great. It was in the was in the LinkedIn post by Thomson Reuters. They actually said one of the main reasons they bought them was their quote unquote agile working environment. Nice. So it was, wow. It's directly noted. the The story about how we did what we did is in that yellow book, uh, which is of course available on Amazon, like everything else is. And uh, it's a different, it's a very different read than the red book that you have. I'm happy to send right. you ladies a couple copies oh, uh, so you can take a look at it. And it really- Never ex- turned it, down books. <laughs> yeah. It goes into more of the details about how we do what we do. Whereas mm-hmm. the first, whereas the red book is more about how Scrum works in general. Yeah. Well, that's a good lead into our first question we wanted to ask you was, um, as the use of agile organizations and scrum product development has grown in the nonprofit sector, we've seen those terms in articles and presentations kind of used interchangeably, but I think there probably are some different nuances to them. So I would love it if you yeah. could help our listeners understand the prime differences between agile and scrum and how the two work together. So you know, this is a, this is a very, very common question. And mm-hmm. I think, I think the best thing we can say about it, if you, if you come upon an article where you see these words being used interchangeably, just do yourself a favor and click the hell off because that person <laughs> knows absolutely nothing 
about about it because it, they should okay. never be confused. L- let me let me give you a succinct way of thinking about this. Okay, imagine a box. Okay, imagine a box. That box is Scrum. Inside that box, you put your problems. Scrum is a framework. It it it's designed to essentially wrap around any type of method of problem solving. So whether you're doing lean manufacturing, whether you're doing design thinking, whether you're doing traditional marketing work or or any other kind of engineering or problem solving like you would do in the nonprofit world, traditional fundraising, traditional grant writing, however you, whatever it is you do goes inside that box. Scrum helps you do whatever you put in there better. That's it. And we are engineering practice. And now I, I know that that sounds odd to use in the nonprofit sector, but it's not because the way you, for example, engineer a fundraising campaign, engineer a marketing campaign, those are types of engineering, even though you're not tinkering and building stuff with nuts and bolts. So mm-hmm. however you choose your problem solving, your production method goes in that box. Scrum helps you do that better. What's agile? Agile is you looking down inside that box thinking about how to solve those problems. Agile is a mindset. It's not something you do. It's something you are. Agile is an adjective. Scrum is a noun. So Scrum is the way that we you essentially formalize the way you do the things you do in order to learn better from them. Here's what I like to say about it, right? Scrum helps you operationalize your learning so that you can continually apply it forward. Agile is simply the mindset you use with which you try to solve these problems. So agile is this set of four values and then 12, you know, 12 principles, right? So most of the folks listening may be familiar now. Agile, you know, we, we value, for example, individuals and interactions over processes and tools. So when you have that value, now you're going to say, great, how do we apply that? Well, so something like that might mean instead of me sending you an email, I actually, you know, call you on the phone. Or, or video or chat, or Zoom or whatever it is, <laughs> right? Because the idea is the, indiv- the interaction between us is more important than the tool that I'm using, right? That's got nothing to do with Scrum. That's a way you think about if I want to do something, my behavior patterns, what are they like? Now, in Agile, there are then these 12 principles that they extract from it. So for example, one of them is, is, one of them is called sustainable pace, right? Where it says that, you know, the developers, the sponsors, the business people, the customers should be able to continue for an indefinite period. Okay, great. So now we have to ask ourselves, well, what does that mean? And that, that's a principle. What does that mean in practice? It means things like, well, you're not going to burn your people out by telling them they have to work 60 hours a week, which a lot of people in the nonprofit sector are doing. You know that. I know mm-hmm. that. All your listeners know that. Yes. If, I, if we ask your listeners to take a poll and say, how many of you are working 40, 40 hours a week or less, very, very few of them are raising that hand right? Most of them are yeah. probably in 40 to 50. And I'm sure a lot of them are between 50 and 60 because nonprofits are all about fighting the good fight. I've never met anyone in the nonprofit sector that isn't passionate about the work that they do for the folks that they do it for, whether they're helping the homeless or feeding kids. No one I've ever met in the nonprofit sector is not fully passionate about what they do. These are the people coming to work because they're fighting the good fight, whether they're whether they're feeding kids or helping the homeless or saving the environment, like, like, the, like the Nature Conservancy or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So w- everyone's got to understand when, when you come in with that kind of an attitude, th- these folks, that's why they're working 50 or 60 hours a week. So we all know that. So the, mm-hmm. the real trick is this. 
How can Scrum actually help with that? The point of Scrum is to do what you do more efficiently so you can get out of the office sooner, right? So that agile principle that we were talking about is called sustainable pace. We tend to look at that with how hard can you work without burning your people out? You, you have to do more in less time. But that doesn't mean like always, well, I, I, I wrote a 10-page grant. I have to write 50 pages in the same 40 hours a week. No, 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 no. That's not necessarily what we're talking about. We're talking about how could that happen? And the answer is by eliminating waste. So when you ask what's the difference between Scrum and Agile, everyone needs to understand the history. Scrum is actually born from something called the Toyota production system, which a lot of people will call lean because it gave rise to lean development later on. And one of the major focuses, not the only focus, but the major focus that's recognized around is getting rid of waste. When, when I go into an organization, whether they're for-profit or non-profit, one of the things I tell them is I'm not coming in here to do any specific magic. What I'm going to help you realize is all the stuff you're doing that's crap and getting rid of it. And when you do that, magically productivity increases because you stop doing the things that are draining your productivity. Mm. Then all of a sudden you have more time for the high value work and the good stuff that all these nonprofits that, that we know of can do. So when you say, what's the primary difference? Agile's a mindset. Scrum is how you actualize that mindset. Lean came first. It gave, it helped the, the Toyota production system came first. That's what Dr. Sutherland studied to try to help invent Scrum. And he learned about it through a paper called The New New Product Development Game, written by Professors Takich and Onaka. That paper came out in 1986. He read it in 1993, and it gave rise to the development of Scrum into 1995 when it was codified. Agile came about in 2001 when a bunch of folks who were doing stuff got together and decided, hey, what are we doing in common? Two of the people at that meeting were Dr. Sutherland and, and his business partner at the time, Ken Schwaber, and they are the co-creators of Scrum. So Scrum is essentially the major parent of Agile. A bunch of other folks at that meeting also did Scrum. So that's, that's how, that, when you say what's the difference, it's, it's a misunderstanding of history. It would kind of be like saying, like a lot of people like to say, oh, Scrum is a flavor of Agile. That's like saying that, that, that Britain came from the United States. That's not kind of, not the right trajectory, y'all. <laughs> not the right trajectory. And I, again, I applaud your use of the word y'all correctly and in context. Good on Thank you. you. <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's go to another question. Sure. So I was watching um, a, a YouTube seminar um, last fall, Octoberish, where you were talking about how the pandemic disrupted the kind of communication you just described. Like instead of mm -hmm. sending you an email, I'm going to come down the hall. I'm going to pop my head in, or or maybe go to a video call. So for those who are right now considering starting Scrum when that may or may not be a viable solution, you know, everyone back in the office or we may get back in the office and we may have to get back out of the office because vaccination rates and I'm not going to preach, but I'm just saying when, what is, um, a, what is the best way if you can't have that in-person communication, getting rid of the waste, as you said, is it still going to be video calls for people who want to get back? And I, I know part of Scrum or daily meetings, right? Daily standups yeah. where you discuss that. What's the alternative if everyone's, um, coming, coming to you from their basement, say, or okay. something else. How's that going to work? Let, let me talk about this. Kim, do you mind if I give you one correction before I start? Oh, by all means. Because it's one of my personal passion points. I want everyone not to call it the daily standup. Oh, it, oh that's what I was taught. So what's, yeah. the, what's the thing? What's the T? So, so here's why. Unfortunately, some of the folks that we work with can't physically stand. 
And so calling it that great tends, point tends to be exclusionary. And it's one, it's one of my things that I harp on is that oh, the power of words point. are really, are really, really important. Sure. The daily, daily standup is exclusionary to him. So let's all just please call it the daily scrum, which is actually what the name is in the scrum. Okay. Guide. Daily scrum. It is, is that good. Okay. It always made me think of a quick comedy show because I wasn't looking at it from the exclusionary standpoint. It made me yeah. think stand up comedy, but I you totally know, get, I totally get yeah. what you're saying. I'm, I'm like probably one of the least politically correct people you'll ever. No, it's a really meet, good point. Yeah. We, we don't have to make people feel bad on purpose. It's just no. No, let's do daily scrum. So yeah. daily scrum, better in person. Yeah. But when it can't happen, what's well, the best next best? So here's what so here's what I found funny about the whole thing. And you will see if you go back into the literature at, at end of 2019, beginning of 2020, there are thousands of articles about how are we going to go online? How are we going to do this? And what was really funny about it to me personally was we've been doing Scrum this way for 10 years already because products existed before. Listen, I'm, I'm a big Zoom fan, giving them a shout out here. It's the best video platform I think right now. But before that, other platforms existed. WebEx, uh, sure. uh, LogMeIn ha- existed. Uh, they Cisco had, had something. Cisco, yeah. right. Cisco's WebEx. There was also oh. also Google Meet or Google Hang. It was Google Hangouts at the time, if you remember yeah. that product. Yeah. yeah. So the ability for us to do this in a what we called distributed teams has existed for for years. We were actually kind of confused that people were having trouble figuring it out because for us it was a solved problem. Sure. We were able to transition Scrum Inc. I'm talking about my company. We were able. I was able to transition all of our classes, like the class you took from Diane Leonard. We were able to transition that in five days. All I had to do was I had to create a bunch of exercises that worked online instead of in person. And then we immediately started doing classes online like a week later in March. It was, I remember it was March of 2020. We did our first online classes. We just, we seamlessly transitioned and people actually said, it's like, it's like you guys have been doing this for years, which we hadn't, but it was because we understood distributed scrum. Mm -hmm. It was not a problem for us right now in the literature, go in the HBR, Go on Forbes. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. is talking about hybrid work. Again, I'm laughing about it because it's a solved problem. We already know how to do this from years ago. It's not really any different. So if you're starting Scrum and you have to be in a hybrid situation, the answer is yes, video chat. The mm-hmm. research out there shows, and I'm happy to send it out to the listeners and to yourself, that the, the, the most richest form of communication is two people or more standing at a whiteboard together. See, the, the whole thing is this, right? It, when people ask me, what's the problems that we encounter in business? And some people say, oh, it, it's a, it, this is, a, this is a, a strategic problem. This is a tactical problem. This is a technology problem. This is a, it's all, that's all bunk, okay? Everything is people problems. It is. It's a matter of understanding that lens, right? So when you understand it from the person perspective, you have to say to yourself, great, how do we enable people to communicate and collaborate better? Email is a perfect example. So are tweets, right? If mm-hmm. we ask your listeners right now, how, or text messaging, how many people, text messaging is my favorite one to poke at. How many people out there have gotten into an argument with a significant other because of a text that they sent? It's a it's, hundred it's, percent. It's and this is why the Japanese invented emojis because, I, because otherwise half of the text message I, I send, my wife writes back, why are you such, an, why are you such a, a jerk? <laughs> Instead of nice. right, and if I write, and if I write the, the the text message and then I include the emoji, she's like, "Oh, ha ha lol," right? Oh, okay. So, right. So that that 
emojis, emojis save my marriage. I guess I should write that book. Um, but the, the point of it is, so when you have two people at a whiteboard, you can ask the questions back and forth. When you send it by email, half of the things that you think are assumed and you don't ask questions because you don't want to keep writing a voluminous thing back and forth. It's the same thing in grant writing, right? You have to write exhaustive grants because you know that the government or whoever it is you're trying to get money out of is going to say, well, what do you mean by that? Right? So why video chat? Because it's the same thing. By seeing each other, it mimics that in to its best ability. It mimics that in-person scenario of, okay, and that encourages me to ask more questions, get more probing and pull that out. For those of you listening at home, you can't see it right now, but I'm from New York, so I talk with my hands. I'm doing it right now, even though none of y'all can see me. <laughs> That's the way it is. But that type of emphasis, right, helps to pull you in in terms of the communication and ask more probing questions. Now, what's interesting is you mentioned the, the daily scrum, right, and that it might be intimidating to start with that or unachievable. But actually, when people start scrumming, that's what we say you should start with first. First, the, the, the other events, if you think about it in Scrum, are much longer in time frame. whether it's Scrum planning, the review or retrospective. The daily Scrum, on the other hand, 15 minutes or less. Remember, in Scrum, all of our events are time boxed to a maximum. You don't have to plan this thing for 15 minutes, finish in seven, and then everybody's out there like, and, uh, you know, what do you think of the Braves game last night? That doesn't, that doesn't have to happen. You can, you can cut that short and be like, Hey, if no one else has anything to say, great, everybody back to work. I'll also say something else here, which might be a little bit controversial, but if anyone's out there following me in the land of agile, I'm kind of known for being a little controversial. So even though I am a protege of Dr. Sutherland and, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm actually in my company known as the preacher because I get up there with the book and, and, I, and I do my job. But I'll be the first person to tell you that if, if you said to Dr. Sutherland, a daily touch point doesn't work for us because we don't have anything to say, he's the first point, he's the first person that would tell you that maybe you don't need to do it every day. See, the whole point of it is, is not, we, we all tell you, you don't do the framework for the framework's sake. You do it for the value that's derived. Can I give you an example? Sure. Kimberly, you mentioned vaccines before, and a lot of people out there listening may not know how vaccines are developed, or more importantly, how vaccines are manufactured. So I happen to consult with a, a, a well-known vac vaccine manufacturer, not for COVID. I work, in their, I work in their flu department, the flu vaccine department. Sure. So you may not know this, but flu vaccines are actually made inside of chicken eggs, which is why it says on the side of the vaccine bottle, if you're allergic to eggs, do not take this vaccine. How long does that take? Well, it actually takes 21 days. So what's the daily scrum like? They get together and they say, uh, I don't know, the eggs are still cooking. They got nothing to say. They got nothing to say because there's nothing, right? So mm -hmm. they, when we started working with them, they didn't do a daily scrum every day. They did it every two days. It wasn't until the team had more projects that they were working on that required a closer touch point on a daily basis that they actually started doing a daily scrum. What, did I get in there and hold up the scrum guide like the Bible and be like, hey, uh, no way, y'all, you have to meet every day. I didn't do that at all because you meet as often as it makes sense and for as long as it makes sense. Otherwise, what are you doing? You're introducing waste into the system, and that's the antithesis of Scrum. Yeah. So we have lots of chips and techniques 
uh, on how to do this in a hybrid format. I think I think I just wrote an article on it a couple of weeks ago. So, it's a, there's a link we can send out. Yeah, you yeah. sent it to me. You emailed a link. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll email you the links. We got a ton of stuff coming out about this because we were one of the people that helped to to help pioneer this literally a decade ago as to how you do it. I've run distributed teams between U.S. and India, between Japan and uh, and Vietnam. We do a lot of outsourcing distributed there, and the best practices exist. But they definitely are to be succinct. They definitely are. So here, here would be my top three recommendations for anyone doing a hybrid workplace or, or a fully distributed workplace, either way. One of them is you have to have a video chat tool. Mm-hmm. The second one would be you have to have a, a text chat tool like Slack or something like that or okay. Confluence, whatever it's like that. Because people need a way to communicate asynchronously as well as synchronously. And the third thing is, and this is the foundation of Scrum, is making work visible. How you choose to do that, Scrum doesn't say. There are lots of what we call backlog tools out there, whether you're using something free like Trello or there's another place uh, you could use. You can use online whiteboard tools like Miro. That's, that's one of my are. favorites. Yeah, or Mural. Uh, you can use complex backlog tools like Jira or version one. You have to have a way for everybody to communicate what work needs to be done what is the status of that work? And what else do I need to know if I'm going to do that work, right? So that's what I'm saying is, is th- these are the three essentials. In my opinion, the other thing you need to do is have what we call a team working agreement. And that is basically everybody getting together and setting down. This is kind of like, it's kind of like a constitution of the team, right? I like, I, I listen, I'm, I, like I said, I, I tend to say things that are a bit controversial. So I use a lot of religious examples because, hey, it, for me, it's okay. It's all I, like call it the te- I like to call it the 10 commandments of the team. So you need to set down a set of codified rules, but whereby you say, this is how we agree to behave. And it needs to be short and succinct. That's why I like 10, because it seems to be enough for everybody to remember. You go, once you get to 50, it, you know, no one knows what they're doing anymore. No. So you want to sit down this work agreement where you say, this is the tool we're going to use. This is how we use it. And then you want to say things, for example, like, this is where we share stored documents. This is, these are our sharing places because otherwise you end up with 30 communications of where's this, where's that, where's the other, and no one knows. So, Avi, you've already shared a little bit about how when a team prepares to take on Scrum, some of the important activities that you mentioned, the Ten Commandments, which I like that reference, by the way. Um, but what are some other next steps they can do kind of to get the biggest result or to kind of push them into fully implementing um, Scrum in their workplace? Amanda, this is a this is a great question. So most of the time, when teams adopt Scrum, obviously they they'll read the Scrum guide or they'll go to a class and they'll try to adopt all five of the events at once. But often we have uh, issues around that because you know we mentioned before when I was talking with Kimberly about sustainable pace. But what's interesting is that human beings actually have a sustainable pace not of work, but not just of work, but also of change. If you try to change too many things at once. It whipsaws back, you know, it, it's funny because we talk about human psychology, but I, I actually speak about it with Newtonian mechanics. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. If you try to change everything too fast, sometimes you get that exact whipsaw back and it, it, it short circuits, in which case we recommend we recommend adopting Scrum a, a piece at a time, right? Because the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time, not trying to, not trying to shove the whole thing down your gullet. You know what I'm saying? So, Fair. So this is why we say start start small, start with the daily scrum. But what would you do next is a great question. And the answer is the retrospective. Because the retrospective, which is when the team gets together to talk about how they can improve, how they work together, is truly the engine of continuous improvement for the team. 
what we find most often in business, and I'm sure it happens in the nonprofit world too, is people will literally say, I'm too busy to take time to analyze what's not going well to then improve. Mm-hmm. What they don't understand is that the time that you stop to take to analyze how you could be better working as teams increases your throughput, your productivity, your, your value delivery, all of it so much more that it's the most important thing to take time to do. And of course, for us, it's 45 minutes per week of sprint length or less. So if you're working in two-week sprints, what are you you're sparing an hour and a half to try to figure out how to make the next 40 hours in the week better so you don't have to do a 60-hour week? Yes, that hour and a half is the most important thing to do next. And then you only, the way I like to say it is you only add the next event when the team sees the value in it. So after the team sees the value in doing retros, great. Now let's talk about sprint planning or sprint review, whichever one, you know, for me, I, either one of them could be could be a toss-up, but you definitely want to add in the daily scrum, see the value, then add the retrospective, see the value, then add the next part. Nice. nice. I think too, something about, Avi, something about talking with your hands, because we can see Avi and he can see us, but I'm just yeah. saying, we've sort of, we've glided through my next question, actually, talking about what are the things that are, um, should change? What are the things that could change? The idea right. that the framework is just a framework. And if you impose it and it doesn't work, that in itself becomes a time waster. So I would like to turn it over to Amanda to get us into some more information. Yeah. Well, and I like to follow up what you said about, you know, we, oh, I don't have time to do that. You know, I will tell you the very first time I heard about Scrum in any capacity was several years ago at the Grant Professionals Association Conference. Diane Leonard presented on this. And I remember sitting there the whole time and she's laying all this out and I'm like, who has time for any of this? Like I just, it blew my mind, but also it was a tough crowd. It was a tough crowd. And I was coming from a perspective of, I am a consultant. I'm a lone consultant, you know, like, so I don't have a whole team of people. So I just, now that I'm into it more and learn more about it, it's amazing. And I totally get what you're saying about how you've got to take the time to spend those 45 minutes to assess. And it's I've become a believer is basically what I'm saying here. So yeah. when, Amanda and I, when Amanda and I stick to our daily scrum to move the podcast forward, it's amazing how much we accomplish. It's, yeah, it's amazing. It's like that focus. Yeah. We, so, yeah, you know, right. Amanda, I, I get this question a lot when I go into large organizations that I mainly help, I mainly help companies in the fortune 200 actually now. Mm-hmm. And I get this. And, and what I say to them is this, I'll, I'll, I will ask someone in the room, I'll say, who thinks if we adopt scrum, everything is going to be really, really different. And it's okay to admit that that scares you. And somebody will always raise their hand. And I will go to them and I will say, great, let me ask you a question. So Amanda, I want you to be in your past life before a scrum. Yeah. And I want you to answer these questions as if, as if I'm asking it the first time. Amanda, do. When, you, when you start a project, do you do any planning? Yes. Do you do some long-term and some short-term? Yes. Great, so do we. Yeah. As the, pro- as the project proceeds, do you ever check in on how it's going? Yes. Great. So do we. <laughs> when when the project is over, do you show it to the customer and say, how do you like it? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so do we. And do you ever get together with the team that did the project and talk about if you had to do it again, how it might go better? Yes. So, so do we. So basically, there's no difference between what you <laughs> currently do and what we do in Scrum, except that, and I'm going to repeat that line I said before, Kimberly. The idea is we formalize how we do what we do so we can operationalize the learning that we have. There we go. Mm-hmm. That's, 
So I help to reduce the, let's call it the friction of adoption by reminding them that you already do planning, you already do check-ins, and you already do postmortems. The difference is most of the time when you do that stuff, you're not cataloging anything to learn from it. And I want you to know something, because again, as you read, uh, Kimberly, my background is being a science teacher. The difference between science and just screwing around is writing things down. That is the, <laughs> only, that is the actual only difference, you know. Think, think about like, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned one of the great television shows out there, The Great British Bake Off, right? So what's the difference between those ladies and some Meemaw in her kitchen in Texas is that Meemaw may not be writing a recipe down. She's got it all in her head. But those ladies, oh, they've got they're it. Also, I got to call you, there, there, there's some very talented men on there too. Just saying. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Just, just, they are, and they're so kind to each other. It's a, It must be an English thing. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, yeah. In yeah. America, we'd be killed. Oh, no. <laughs> that would be, they don't even, Avi, they don't even play for money. I'm just and like, who are you? Who am I? What are we in, doing here? In America, they'd be stuffing salt in the sugar oh, shake. And a poison there would be sabotage. There would 100%, be drama. 100%. 100%. It's a mild sedative. I highly recommend it if you're just feeling stressed. Just put on an episode and, and the I world melts away. There you go. So, yes, yeah, so that, that's really what it is. You know, that's really what it is, Amanda. It's, it's about oh. getting people to see that you already do the process, but you don't do it in, 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 a, in a disciplined way organized and formalized way so that it's easier every time you get back to do it. Yeah. And now after having done it, you know, Kimberly went through the classes and so we've been using it for the podcast and she's right. It's, I mean, we've always managed to get the podcast out and things done, but how much quicker and, and I love the value of going, Hey, I thought I was going to get these three things done today, but this, you know, my kid's sick and we're going to, we're going to the doctor's office today and Kimberly's going, well, you know what, then I'll do it. And so that daily check-in really does help us mm-hmm. keep things. And I mean, there's times we finish early within our two week sprint and it's a beautiful thing, right? So I'm, I'm fully on board. Yep. What, what I would love that I think would be helpful for our listeners is um, if you could give us some examples of nonprofit agencies that have been able to use agile, yeah. um, and Scrum to help during the pandemic because, you know, things were just going bananas then, right? So let, let me just start off by saying that I, most of the companies I work with that are nonprofits will not allow me to say their name. Most of the for-profit companies that I work with will not allow me to say their name. We don't, we don't need, we're cool. We're, you we're just yeah. say a nonprofit. Yes. And, or yeah, maybe blah, blah, blah. you do type of yeah, industry field. That's, yeah. that's it. We don't need absolutely. names and addresses. West absolutely. So, so one of them is a major biomedical research institute okay. in, in Massachusetts. Uh, they acknowledge that they use Scrum. It started in their IT department. Sure. And then they brought it into the laboratories. It, because that we, yeah. So, uh, and again, uh, as, as Kimberly read with my biography, my main focus is putting Scrum outside of software. That's where most people associate it with. Mm-hmm. So I help to bring it outside of IT everywhere I go. And this place, this institute was no different. They do it in the labs and they have achieved amazing, amazing results with it uh, in terms of being able to be more coordinated for things like sequencing. They were studying Ebola. It wasn't during this pandemic. It was during an Ebola outbreak and sequencing the Ebola and the Ebola response. They used it for that. They used it in their gene sequencing um, lab to increase their output by over 60%. And that was one of the major money makers for that institute. Like it's the big, it is the big money maker in that institute. That's what they're known for. Uh, another one I can mention would be a hospital. So uh, 
we were we were brought in because and this was an this was one of the most interesting case studies and was done by uh one of the guys I used to work with uh, uh Kevin Ball we were brought into a, a major hospital it's one of the top 15 hospitals according to US News and World Report uh in the United States okay uh, over 40 years of development and the main issue was that trying to turn over the operating room takes a really long time and the issue is the all of that time is spent not delivering surgeries. They wanted to get it down to 45 minutes or less so they have more surgeries per day while improving the, the, the healthcare outcomes and additionally, obviously, earning the hospital additional revenue. So we were brought in, and I, I'm, I'm proud to say that uh, we did a simple root cause analysis. Why does it take so long to turn over the room? So it turned out that the operating room team being like doctors and like janitors they weren't really communicating well. Shock of shocks. Shocking. <laughs> shock of shocks. Doctors don't think they should speak to the guy who mops the floor, right? Leadership was not aware of the obstacles slowing the team down, and there was no communication channel between operating room staff and leadership because they belonged, essentially, they belonged to another department, right? So we came in there. We did a, ser- a series of workshops, just, you know, very similar to anything else uh, uh, you would be aware of, you know, we walk them through, talking to us, stuff like that. Anyway, after literally just a two-week period, that's all we were there for, a two-week period, we got the turnaround time to just under 30 minutes. It was the fastest turnaround time in the history of the hospital. We were able to add two more surgeries per day. Now, I don't know if you think about that, but here's the deal, right? That's huge. It is huge. Because these are surgeries that are life. We're not, I'm not talking about people getting nose jobs and who cares. I'm talking about heart transplants, liver transplants, surgeries to save people's lives. Sure. We improved the overall median turnover time by 21%. And the overall median cleaning time was 41% better. We got them up to 86 cases per day. This is the deal. You are saving two more lives per operating room per day. That's that's a lot. Huge. That that's huge. My most uh my next client who I'm who I'm I can't say the name again, but who I'm going to work with and I'm really happy is a research institute out in the Midwest that works with agri- agricultural technology. So basically they figure out this is the leading agricultural tech and then they go and they spread it to the ranchers and farmers that they deal with. So we're going to get more crops per land. We're going to get better water usage. All of these things are great, great ways that you see nonprofits working. And if we can make those discoveries available to their clientele quicker and in a more adaptable and sustainable way, then we're really talking about, you know, continuing fighting that good fight and making America, continuing to make America sure. the, best, the best country in the world. Cool. I um, would love to combine a couple of questions so that we can wrap up because yeah. you're a busy guy and we got to get you out there getting these, turning these operating rooms and getting more seeds in the ground and all kinds of stuff. So I would love to, um, Amanda and I had come up with some questions around, we see the value of it. We often work with other organizations, mainly in grant writing and fundraising, right? Where like managers and specialist level, they see the value of it. And by it, I'm referring right now mainly to Scrum. How how can we go about, or what advice would you give for that 
that all-important educate-up concept within the organization. You've got boots on the ground that are like, we see the value of coming together for the check-ins. We see the value in, in the small nonprofit spending money to get the big boy Zoom, if you will. We see all of this. What are some good sort of educate-up advice that you could give to try and turn um, a, maybe an organizational tide or, or help sway opinions around why this could be a good idea? Okay. It's this, this, is, this is a great question we get quite frequently. Sure. You know, Dr. Sutherland invented Scrum, but it came again from the Toyota production system, which was actually born out of, believe it or not, an American effort to help rebuild Japan. Sure. And what they did is they brought a guy over there whose name was W. Edwards Deming. And he is considered to be the father the father of modern statistical process control. I believe he was also an inspiration for Beyonce. Uh, and okay. That, you know, yeah, because, you know, she had that she had that song. And I think he really coined it first, which is uh, if, if, if it matters, you really want to put a number on it instead of put a ring on it. Okay. Uh, so the beehive might be coming for you. I'm just he saying. Might be, he might be. Um, but the whole point of it is that if something is worth doing, it's worth measuring, right? So what speaks the most to leaders tends to be metrics. What you have to figure out is what metrics will our leadership respond to? Most leadership responds to metrics around money, whether it's ROI. And, and I know nonprofits measure ROI, even though they don't always call it that, but, you know, because it, we also measure things like impact value. Right. So I worked with one nonprofit. Um, I'm proud to say I worked with, uh, they came to class and I consulted with them a little bit. Uh, they never said I couldn't say their name. So I'll say their name. Uh, it's the, it's the, it, listen, I, I, I'm Jewish. I'm, I'm Jewish by birth and by, by Get heritage. on it. Get on out. And I had a chance to work with, uh, the Chabad organization, which puts, uh, which, which hopefully people know, but the idea is they put, they put these little, these little spots all over the world. So Jewish people can come together and hopefully uh, have a good time. Uh, now what, what was the problem? So they had a for-profit app and then it's also a nonprofit company. Sure. So they had to try to weigh out, well, how do we figure out what we should do? So one of them was, okay, we can figure out money around the for-profit stuff, but what around the nonprofit stuff? So I suggested to them tracing impact value. So for example, if okay. I send out an email, how many people open it? And then if the impact, and then if, if the email is about raising money, how many people respond to it? And how much money does it actually generate? And then we said, well, we don't want to make it about money. I said, okay, well then go to one of your events that you just want people to show up with. So they did, so they did, for example, you know, just a Friday night get together for the Sabbath. Great. How many people opened the email? How many people clicked to look at the website? And then how many people showed up? And they were able to show by doing Scrum and coming up with more innovative ways to write these emails and also to send them out and to figure out better times that they increased their response rate and they increased their turnout rate. Well, that's, that's awesome. So you need to figure out what metrics tell the story of why we should adopt Scrum and why we should adopt an agile mindset. Then you say, okay, if these are the, if these are the metrics that leader, that leaders respond to, then how do we show that we move these needles? That's the way you communicate, but you can hold all the leadership workshop sessions you want and preach until you're blue in the face. But they want to see results. There are leaders in these organizations, whether it's for-profit or non-profit, are results-oriented human beings. So you have to figure out what results make them tick, then conduct experiments to make those, see if you can move those results. And if you can, then there's your ammunition. 
Some people respond to loss better. We once had this one guy who was hysterical working in a business and he couldn't get any response for what he wanted done. He literally printed a t-shirt that said, we're losing $2 million a month. Ask me how. I swear. And he wore the t-shirt and walked around until the CFO saw him and stopped him and said, hold on. Do you mean this business? Yes. Get in my office right away and talk to me about it. And that conversation turned into all about loss and productivity due to too many meetings and how if we could adopt Scrum, we could, we could streamline everything and, and prioritize properly and it turned into a great, a great transformative effort. So there are lots of innovative ways you can figure out how to I do it. I love it. I love but it. But it tends to be around what language, what is the, what is the per, sometimes known as personal currency that our leaders respond to and then crafting the messages. Fantastic advice. I'm digging the, the customized t-shirt. We've got a lot of material to work from here. And I just, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I've been taking notes. I know that our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. Um, through your bio, I know that one of the best ways to kind of stay abreast of what's going on with you is through scruminc.com. Is there someplace else you'd like listeners to go to check out what's coming up for you? Uh, scruminc.com is obviously the best. Uh, okay. There's a link on there about staying connected. Right. Uh, another place would be the, you know, we run what's called the Agile Education Program, mm -hmm, the AP. Mm -hmm. So uh, agileeducation.org is another place for us to go for anyone to go to learn about how to get educated, uh, whether you want to be a scrum master or a product owner, or, or if you're going to be a team member, it's important as a team member to know how this thing operates, Absolutely. understand the mechanics behind it. I think another thing you can do is you can follow uh, myself, Dr. Sutherland, uh, his name's Jeff Sutherland, JJ Sutherland, our current CEO, follow us on LinkedIn, follow us on Twitter. Uh, you know, don't, don't look for me on Facebook. You'll just hear me ranting against the government. But, you know, find me, find, find me in those professional places instead. And, uh, and, and uh, you can, you, you'll get lots of, and feel free to write in. You know, I always tell everybody, uh, always feel free to write to me. I, I may take 24 to 72 hours to respond, but I respond to every email, every LinkedIn post that I ever get. Uh, I do know. not doubt that for a minute after talking to you. I do not doubt that for a minute. That you I, you know, I was, just, I was a school teacher for 14 years and I think, any, I think any and every question asked deserves an answer. Nice. There's every there's no such thing as a dumb question. I'm firm believer in that. All there is is a question that you don't know the answer to. And and I I applaud everybody out there who asks questions because that's really what Scrum is about. You know, when you think about that behavior pattern of swarming, asking for help. Yep. That if we all if we all didn't feel any shame, you know, our cultural tends to tends to say things like. Uh, if, if we all didn't feel any shame around asking for help, how much better would the world be? Nice. So please come out, please ask us questions. We'll respond. Well, thanks again. Uh, we really, really appreciate your time and, um, thanks for breaking it down, keeping it simple, and then giving us some wardrobe advice on top of everything. So <laughs> good all the way around. Good all the way around. Thanks so much. Anytime. Hope to come back someday when you have more questions and more details. Okay. Bye. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. We wouldn't do it without you and we couldn't do it without you. If 
you could think about leaving a review of the Fundraising Heyday podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It would really help us spread the word, and uh, it would just be your good deed for the day. We're honored that you chose to spend time with us, and we'd love for this podcast to be part of your professional development lineup. Thank you again to our Season 4 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website, dhleonardconsulting.com, to download their latest free resources today. As always, thanks for joining us this week. We appreciate you and hope you tune in in two weeks for our next episode. We are going to talk about our favorite tech tools used to help you raise more money to do more good in the world. Yes. Talk to y'all then, friends. Bye. Bye.